Hello, welcome back to Eldritch Girl. And today we've got Paula D. Ash with us. I was so excited. Uh, Paula, can you introduce yourself for us, please? Sure. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much again um, for, for having me. Um, my name is Paula D. Ash. Um, I'm the author of the short story collection, We Are Here to Hurt Each Other, uh, which came out in February of 2022 from Nictitating Books. Um, and it was recently nominated for a Bram Stoker Award uh, for Superior Achievement in a Fiction Collection. That phrase is so surreal to me. Um, but I, but I, you know, I, I got to say it. So yeah, but thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me, Sam. This is exciting. Yeah, this is, um, it was well-deserved, I think. I'm really excited <laughs> for you. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that collection. Um, and yes, it did fuck me up quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it does. That's, uh, that's my lane, apparently. Um, that's uh yeah when and it's funny because you know I I, I think I was you know and like like which is true for a lot of writers most of us live pretty normal quote unquote normal you know lives and so like when I tell people I'm a writer I say oh I'm a you know a horror writer and they're like oh cool like Stephen King and I'm just like mm, no 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 and they're like oh like what and I'm just like I don't know if you should read it because you won't talk to me anymore but it you know it <laughs> it works out okay but it's it's yeah it's, it's pretty extreme stuff for sure no I did really enjoy it though and I'm excited because you're going to read an extract from one of the stories in the collection yes. Um, would you like to introduce that and kind of give it a little bit of context for us? Yeah, absolutely. So this story, the excerpt is from a story called Jacqueline Laughs Last in the Gaslight. And it is the only um, kind of historical piece in the collection. Um, and I actually wrote this story because for, I mean, I'm sure everybody can tell, um, I'm, I'm in the United States, I'm American for better or for worse. Um, and, uh, and so this, I wrote this story after um, visiting London and specifically the, the Whitechapel district. And that's kind of what this, what this story is about. Um, and just, this is the opening paragraph. So yeah, so I'm gonna read it and just uh, be aware as with you know a lot of my stuff, it's um, a pretty, not all of my stuff, but this, excerpt in particular is a little racy, let's say, and it has some language. So, um, so yeah, so, so that's, that's it. Um, all right. So I'm going to go ahead and read early July, 1888, the young bride and her handsome deacon, her hand like painted porcelain nestled delicate and safe in the sanctuary of his forearm and Whitechapel's rookery of wastrels, the fine pears as prominent as a hangman's prick. Spectacles of health in, in a garden of steaming grime. They walk the flower indeed, mouths stiff but smiling, as cutthroats and pickpockets threaten the woman with rape. Slatterns with pickled brains emphatically offer the Anglican a variety of slick and tight delights, flipping their ragged skirts at the pass of the shadow to give them a glimpse of their puckered and pestilent holes. This is their honeymoon. Wow, yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, racy yeah it's yes it's just grimy as it well is, like it it's, is. it's it is. no it like, really is I I for always forget come sometime when I read that part I'm just like 
that's so yucky <laughs> on, on various levels you know what I mean like I'm like ew it, yeah, it reminds me because you use like a lot of that kind of body horror and the you mm-hmm. do a lot of body horror in your work. And it kind of reminds me of the the rotting man, I think it is. In yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The rotting man is in the story. All the hellish cruelties of heaven. But yes, it's from it's yeah, that that character is from that story. Yeah. Yes, and it that's I mean you've got this real talent for creating very visceral um but also weirdly beautiful imagery at the same time. And there's something about that, like the beauty and the grotesque. Mm-hmm. And then it's 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 great because it kind of crosses that line into no, that is just revolting. And then back again into oh my oh, oh that's yeah, really- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love that about your prose like it just um yeah that's that's one of the reasons I was so excited to chat about it with you so how central is body horror to your work and what drew you as a writer to focus on the body as a site of horror in some of your stories um so it's funny because somebody or a lot of people when the book first came out a lot of folks they were comparing it to uh to David Cronenberg which was super flattering to me because I, I love I love both Cronenberg's work at, at this point but I grew up on you know Cronenberg the elder um and so that was really flattering to me I didn't realize that what I was doing was body horror I it just kind of came natural to the way that I tell a story um and I didn't it, it never I mean, again, like it didn't strike me until the collection came out and people started to respond to it, that that's what they were, that's what they were seeing. And that's kind of what I was doing. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's central because I, I think for me, the reason why I feel so drawn to body horror, I feel drawn to body horror for several reasons. One of them is I'm just not scared of supernatural stuff in literature. It just doesn't often scare me. Now, that's not to say that I don't like it or that I think it's not valid or anything like that. I just, as a writer, I don't feel like, I don't know, like that just doesn't spark my imagination for whatever the reason is, it just doesn't. Because I think I know me as a writer and I would use the supernatural as like a, like a ghost in the machine kind of thing like I would be like oh I don't know how to end the story so I'm gonna just have some ghosts show up you know what I mean because they can do anything and so for me to make it a challenge that I can kind of you know tangle with creatively and intellectually it has to be grounded in reality and it has to be grounded in the in the body so that's part of it it's just the super and and again that's not even to say that I don't write about supernatural stuff I have um and i I'm sure that I will in the future, but for this collection in particular, um, me and, and the editor, um, Sean Thompson, talked a lot about the body horror aspect of it and how it's, um, it, it's it, like, you, like you said after the, the excerpt, it's grimy, it's meant to be, it's a grimy kind of embodied, um, you know, focus. And, um, but I think also, as far as um, my work goes, I I choose a lot of body horror because I feel like as a marginalized subject on a lot of different levels, that the, you know, whether, you know, women are 
are kind of conscripted to the body. Like that's, you know, the, the, the whole like binary, that duality thing, like, you know, men have the intellect and women have the body. And so I think just that kind of, not to say that that's true, but just my background is in, I do a lot of, um, my background is a lot of feminist theory study. And I just think that's really interesting. I, I you know, I've, I'm familiar with like uh, the work of, uh, you know, like Julia Kristeva and and um, Monique Wittig and, and all of these feminist theories who, feminist theorists who talk a lot about the body and embodiment. And so um, that's also a big part of it too. Um, I really am fascinated by uh, Julia Kristeva's work on objection and how like, you know, the body as the site of both um, life, but also death and decay and, you know, the, the undeniable kind of corporeality of our, of our bodies. That's just really interesting to me. And I like to play around with that. Um, Cause I also just find bodies gross. Like, let's just, you know what I mean? Like just being an embodied subject sometimes is gross. Um, and that's a side I think of a lot of anxiety for people for a lot of reasons. Um, and I think that my work kind of plays around with, with that as well. Yeah, definitely. I think like that's the the corporeality of it, of the you know it, of the horror makes it so much harder to deny mm-hmm. as well. And you it, you have to then face up to things like not just mortality, but also changes that you can't control within yourself and the ex- outward expression of those changes. Absolutely, and that can be incredibly frightening on multiple levels uh, whether or whether or not there's a supernatural element to it because the cause at that point is kind of by the by it's what's Mm -hmm. actually physically happening to you that you have to reckon with particularly if it's kind of like irreversible or it appears to be irreversible in the moment Mm -hmm. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about the um the one story that actually made me stop reading for the longest time I had to pause the whole collection because I couldn't carry on was the Carcosa one Mm, which mm -hmm. is um for anyone who hasn't read it is told via email so it's kind of epistolary which I love I love that form that's really cool you've got that that distance and the ability to tell that story through Mm -hmm. sections but also just the concept of this drug that makes you mutilate yourself in a yeah. like way but oh my yeah. god I was like <laughs> no <laughs> like I'm sorry that you had that experience but thank you so much for telling me that because that's so flattering to me as a writer I'm like yes <laughs> yes she was repulsed All right. <laughs> loved it like it's it I think that one is um probably the one that still haunts me from the sure sure that one that's that particular story um messes with a lot of people and I'm really um I'm really proud of it because um that like you were saying that that epistolary format is is really hard to nail down properly I know we're talking about body horror I don't want to go too far off on a tangent but that it's it's so it's so hard I think to tell a story in that format well and uh I I just um I, I'm just so glad that, that worked I'll just I'll leave it at that but this so thank you but I'm glad that worked out yeah definitely and I think like um that brings us on to the whole uh to the other question that I I had which is about the weird fiction elements in your 
work because it's not just about the body horror and I think there's a lot more we can dig into with the body horror as well um sure. but um something that I found was also the uncanny nature of it and that idea of your body changing and something familiar mm-hmm. becoming very unfamiliar mm-hmm. and that direct reference to Carcosa as well which is the uh, Robert Chambers King in Yellow mm-hmm. play mm-hmm. kind of story reference then played about with with Lovecraftian mythos so mm-hmm. you know so and I found there were quite a few other sort of classic weird fic elements and tales in your work and so there's definitely a weird vibe with the uncanny nature of some mm-hmm. of them so how and when did you get into weird fiction did that naturally present itself as a vehicle for storytelling for you um yeah that's a, a great question I don't know how um I don't know how direct an answer I have for that one I've always been into what in the 90s and early 2000s was called horror dark fantasy like that was its own kind of section they were combined together um and then they kind of split apart for a bit but I think they're coming back together for some folks but horror HDF horror dark fantasy was just like my that was my jam that's that's so much of what I read and I particularly read a lot of Tanith Lee and so from from reading Tanith Lee that led me to um, I read a lot of Clive Barker and Tanith Lee and Caitlin R. Kiernan and um, and Poppy Z. Bright, who you know currently known as is is currently Billy Martin, but used to write as Poppy Z. Bright. And um, and I don't know when I discovered Thomas Ligotti. It wasn't maybe ten years ago, but then I started reading, and and that was when like. I started to recognize the weird as the weird. There was this kind of weird resurgence, particularly in the United States. And we had, you know, um, uh, writers like um, Olivia Llewellyn with uh, Furnace. And, um, you know, we had like Matt Carden and, and Laird Barron and Matt Bartlett. And, um, you know, Victor Laval came out with uh, Ballad of Black Tom. And I was just reading all these things and just really like digging that that vibe, that uncanny um, strangeness, but also the philosophical implications. One of my favorite books of all time is um, Thomas Ligotti's The Conspiracy Against the Human Race. And um, like, I read that book and it just made me feel like, oh, like somebody gets it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, somebody, somebody understands. Um, it's not, I mean, obviously it's, it's kind of a, a cornerstone of like cosmic pessimism. So it's not the most chipper kind of perspective to have um and it's certainly a, my perspective is, has changed uh over time and certainly becoming a parent has changed that um for me in a lot of ways but you know reading Ligotti reading the work of um of uh, John Paget um uh and reading you know the uh magazine or the journal of Asterian um what else um uh, and I, I, there's just so much of that stuff that, that came out in that sort of, you know, early to mid um, aughts, I guess, was just really like, I just devoured all of that stuff because it seemed to vibe with me in such a way that it was engaging intellectually to me, but it was also, it went beyond just ghosts or vampires or werewolves. It was the nature of reality in and of itself is is malevolent or off. Um, and I just found that to be really, really intriguing. And so I really like to play around with that in my own work. Um, and I particularly like to play around with that in my own work because I think it 
resonates um, in the sense of what they call now kind of like social horror, but I don't know how much I like that phrase. But I think if you are, again, part of any kind of marginalized, um, historically underrepresented, however you want to put it, you know, oppressed group, you know, reality is not always safe for, for, for you. Um, so fiction that represents that, that plays around with that is really engaging for me. Um, and I think it also in that laundry list of names and you know, books and stuff. I also forgot to mention, like probably like the the big corners, one of the big cornerstones of my own kind of development as a writer was the work of Toni Morrison, um, who is not, you know, known as a horror writer, but her work is absolutely horrific. Um, and 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 its structure and its intent and its you know deployment. And so um, that that was also a big uh, influence, particularly the book, um, her first novel, the, the Bluest Tie which is a story about a young, very dark-skinned Black girl in the 50s who, because all of her life, she's been told that the, you know, white Eurocentric standard of beauty is the, like, that is it. And because she doesn't fit it, she is ugly and she's been treated horrifically her entire young life um, because of that. And, um, and it's one of those books that made me realize, like, the perspective that a person has on the world and where they fit into it, it's not only influenced by their experiences, it's also influenced by how the world perceives them as well. So if the world perceives you as a threat, then you're gonna see threats in the world, right? Cause that's like how people will respond to you. And so I just, I, I don't know, I kind of write, I try to write often from, from that perspective because I think it makes things um, a bit more interesting. That was a really long answer. So, but <laughs> no, yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense as well. Like, um, and it reminded me of one of the stories I think you uh, sent a link to in your newsletter, which everyone should sign up to, by the way. Um, links yeah. will be in the transcript, um, which was a very disturbing kind of weird tale, which was the family um family dinner kind of the thanksgiving uh, thanksgiving dinner mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then some weird shape that appears <laughs> between them and then it kind of and then it, it just gets massively wildly out of control it didn't go anywhere I thought it was going to go but it kind of yeah that kind of um that was the kind of like a microcosm of uh um threats and yeah. strange dynamics within mm -hmm. a, a microcosm of a family mm -hmm. which I love <laughs> so, yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah yeah so that just reminded me of that and I was like no I can see it I can see the I can see the influences in in that story that's cool that you say that because I didn't I never even thought about that but I think you're 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 right with that particular story because I do I, I talk I do a lot of stuff on like family dynamics and family families that are fucked up like I that's just my I'll just be real and uh um but yeah certainly for that one that 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 I, I also like the idea of like a threat that only certain people can see because that just that creeps me out you know what I mean like that's just really um upsetting <laughs> to me um so so yeah I think that's that's a big part of it as well the the threat 
being a thing that only certain people can see for whatever reason. I can see how that has some parallels with like social horror as well and being part of a marginalized group because in those cases, certain contexts, the threat is only something you can see. I mean, that's what a microaggression is, right? Like it's something that only certain people interpret rightfully as aggressive um, discriminatory behavior, but not everybody else sees it that way because it's not attacking that part of their identity or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, the more I'm thinking about that Thanksgiving story, the more I can kind of like, oh, I want to go back and reread it and see like, <laughs> but also fucked up families it, as a, as their own thing is mm-hmm. is a, a really interesting theme to play around with. And you can get like the, the kind of the microcosm of threat in that in that in those dynamics and the way that different members of that family mm-hmm. and their power relative power dynamics play out and you can kind of show such a lot about society and such a lot about anxiety and fear mm-hmm. and change and all of that stuff through that that kind of yeah do you is that why you like to write about families or like just I mean throwing that <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, my, my, my therapist probably has a different answer than the one I'm going to give, but I'm going to say, no, um, I, I think it's because, uh, I, I mean, I think you're right. It's a microcosm. And so my, my, um, my background is also in sociology. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sociologist. And so, you know, I'm very big on socialization and like the processes of socialization and how we learn how to be human in society and how we teach people to be human in society. And so the, the, the biggest, you know, the most powerful um, sort of influence when it comes to socialization is the family. We, we learn everything about everything from the family. You, you cannot escape that. And it's, um, you know, for better or for worse. So those dynamics just echo throughout your life. And if they're positive and again I'm not trying to say that people are like doomed or anything but if they're positive dynamics then that's you know that that's good you can you can build on that very strong foundation but if they're not um you know that's where we that's where you know a lot of trauma comes from a lot of um um, mental illness and, and things like that um can come from those sorts of things and I just I'm always intrigued by how much power families have um and and how family dynamics are so I don't know kind of prophetic in a way I guess like I mean again I'm not trying to say because I know that people don't like to hear particularly for people who come from you know like abusive backgrounds that that you know that's all that they'll ever be that's not what I'm saying but but what what I'm saying is it is difficult to view the world as a safe place when the first when your first experience of the world was was one where you weren't safe, right? So that's kind of the thing that I find really, really fascinating, and I come back to over and over again. Um, and and you know to to um, you know to be fair, like you know I grew up in a relatively a comparatively safe household. I, I think um, um, certainly less safe than some others, but I think it's all kind of you know um, it all kind of just depends. But I think for me, which is I was very acutely aware of that when I was young. I don't know why, I just always have been kind of aware um, of that. And I think one thing that I've also noticed as I've, you know, like I'm a parent, um, is realizing how, 
how difficult it is to keep, you know, to protect your family, to protect yourself, to protect your children from like the forces outside of your home, whether it's like, you know, economic chaos or social strife or, you know, um, like even interpersonal stuff, like you all, you have to compartmentalize that for, for your family. Um, and that's really hard. And it just makes me kind of think about how difficult it is to kind of um, maintain those kinds of structures and keep all that stuff in place. Um, you know, while at the same time, like being a productive member of society and, and all of that other stuff. So it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to deal with, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think you kind of took the, the generational cycles as well. I think yes. that was what you were, yeah, mm-hmm, kind of alluding to mm-hmm. there. Yeah. A, a yeah, really, yeah. really hard to break out of. And really, it's very hard to be a cycle breaker. Yes. And you have sure. no, especially when you're the first person to do that and you have yes. no kind you of no reference. Yeah. You have no reference. You have no model. You're just doing it all on your own. And it's so easy to make those same mistakes. I think you start to realize that a lot of times people, you know, it's, it's because you've, there's no model, there's no frame of reference, like you said, um, it's so easy to go back on that, you know, those past kind of generational traumas because it, it's almost, even if it's terrible, it's almost like it's easier to do that because it's familiar than it is to strike out into the unknown. Um, so yeah, so a big, I think that's a big, that's a big part of it too, as well, I think. So yeah. Yeah. And that kind of brings us interestingly back to body horror, doesn't it? Because like you It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like families inscribe themselves on you. Yes. In that kind of way. You can't like you can't help but look like the people you're related to. You literally right. carry their mm-hmm. DNA around. You literally, mm-hmm. you know, that you embody them and you embody that cycle and there's Mm -hmm. all sorts of yeah how trauma literally changes your DNA and changes your brain and Mm -hmm. all of that and I was really interested looking at your um your brand of body horror I don't know if you if I don't know if you have a brand if that's but you know your (laughs) kind of of body horror that you like Mm -hmm. to write and there seems to be like a really strong connection especially in the collection between internal pain and Mm -hmm. physical deconstruction Mm -hmm. um and again I'm thinking about the Carcosa story in particular but um Mm -hmm. yeah just because that's just in my brain like a brain worm but (laughs) um how do you see that relationship manifesting in your work and the connections between those two themes between like internal pain and then yeah internal pain physical deconstruction those uh, how how does that go together I mean so okay so I'm gonna um, try to think of how to explain this in a way that doesn't make me sound like a complete lunatic um the I am I probably at this point do already um I, I mean I think there's certainly a connection there I think so I I keep talking about like my background is in blah blah and it sounds like I have like 17 different majors um but I, I studied a lot of stuff I've, I've been in school for quite some time um so uh so another thing I study um was uh, abnormal psychology. And I was really, because I'm fascinated by that. Um, And so I am really interested and intrigued by, um, there's no way to talk about this without it 
sounding weird, but whatever. I mean, this is the Elder Scroll podcast. I'm guessing weird is what people are here for. So um, I'm really yeah. fascinated by self. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm really fascinated by self-mutilation, um, whether it's for religious reasons, whether it's for uh, what we might call um, pathological reasons, whether it's for self-expression, like the, like whether it's piercings or like branding or like uh, the the hooks, like the people who, you know what I'm talking oh, about? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People like, like to hang themselves from. Yeah, from like yeah, meat yeah. hooks basically. Hooks, yeah. um, and, uh, and, and like, I'm, I'm so fascinated by that um, and why people <laughs> do that. Also, I have to have an aside and talk about, yes, I am obsessed with Hellraiser. How did you know? Um, and so uh, um, I, I'm really intrigued by that. I think that um, as somebody who was also um, raised in a very evangelical household, um, there's so much, there's a lot of physical suffering in Christian theology, right? Like there's just, that's just the name of the game. And um, I've always been intrigued by the idea of like transubstantiation and transformation and then like transfiguration and how you can change yourself. Like, so kind of, I think kind of similarly to what, 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 what you were saying, Sam, about like, um, like the way that you carry your family and your, you know, your family in your body, like you wear the, 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 the face of people who came before you that you're related to. Well, what if you don't like that? What if you want to change it? And so one of the ways you can do that is by, you know, what we would call mutilation of the face or, you know, piercings or tattoos or, you know, branding or scarring or what have you. Um, and I'm always, I'm interested in that because one, I think it's a really fascinating way to look at like expression and trying to break kind of some generational curses or generational trauma. But then I also think it's really interesting in a more like spiritual sense, like you defining who you are and also you having agency over your flesh in a way that you, like I can't change, I can't change my DNA, um, but if I look like somebody in my family or, you know, whatever the, the, the situation is, I can alter myself, you know, physically, I can alter myself externally. And maybe I can't change internal, I can't change myself internally, but I can change, I can alter myself externally. And, and if I get to see that in the mirror and be reminded of myself and my own choices and my own power, rather than looking in the mirror and being reminded of the people who came before me, that can do something to help kind of shift my perspective toward, um, you know, some kind of actualization of, of, of some sort or some kind of like, you know, a sense of agency, some kind of sense of um, an internal locus of control. That's the one thing I can control, right? I can control to an extent how I look. And I think for a lot of people, and I've studied a great deal of, um, I have plans for a novel that plays around with this idea, um, in a much kind of bigger way. Uh, <laughs> you're like, yes. Um, thank you. Thank you. Literally such um, a fear. <laughs> yes. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> um, bless you. Thank you so much. Uh, um, but what plays around with these ideas of, of like mutilation and, and apotheosis, like, like, I don't know. I just, I know it's weird. Yeah. 
I can't really explain it. I think in a linear in a linear way because it's not linear. It's you know, I mean, at least particularly within like the Christian faith, like that's you know the 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 way the that salvation works is not all. That's not the only way, but one of the clear ways that we tend to celebrate is through suffering. And so, I mean, I don't know. That's kind of what we're given to work with in a lot of ways, and I think that's really interesting. Yes, yeah, definitely. And I, I, I keep. I'm, I'm a medievalist, but my, that's my background. So, I have. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I was also raised in a, a, a Welsh Baptist context via mm. Greek via Greek Orthodoxy with a little wow. bit of <laughs> um, yeah. but um yeah, so I kind of grew up I grew up partially um on some of the Greek islands. So mm-hmm. I yeah, so I had um quite a lot of the iconography of mm-hmm. suffering, but also I, I find Greek orthodoxy is much more also about the expression of joy and the kind of, so, yes. so, so, mm-hmm. but, um, and it's more the, the aesthetic of the small churches, the very gloomy, no, no natural light except candlelight. Mm-hmm. The um, Papa Petros who used to pick me up so I could light candles because I was too small, you know, <laughs> like that, <laughs> he was just this like pillar of black. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and I just sort of look up and there'd just be this black cloth and then a beard up there somewhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know and so I kind of remember those sorts of things and then coming back into a coming back to the UK and growing up in the UK in a very kind of Welsh Baptist context mm-hmm. um, and hearing about the, that emphasis on suffering and also sure. on personal suffering and um that the idea that Christ came to suffer and to be lonely and to be mortal mm-hmm. and experience that. And I had that real kind of, that that resonated a lot with me, I think. Um, but then when I sort of studied medieval expressions of Christianity and medieval traditions, I think one of the things that I was thinking of as you were talking was um, there was a priest who was concerned that he didn't really believe in transubstantiation and he want so he prayed to god to give him the kind of definitive answer mm-hmm. is this the body of christ am i to believe that these wafers are literally you and mm-hmm. he had a dream as you should do in all good uh, oh, sure. you know mm-hmm. uh, so he had this dream about someone performing the eucharist and as um he lifted the bread to bless it it was a baby and then he tore the baby apart. Literally, a literal, actual baby the, the, uh, in the dream. And that obviously was Christ, not as a man, but as an infant, as the mm-hmm. incarnated. But, and that's, so that's an incredible, visceral, horrible image. It's, I think that's worse than actually you know, cannibalizing an actual adult. The yeah, fact that it's just it's lifting a up a baby and tearing, and tearing it. it apart. And then he was like, oh, you're right. You know what? Transubstantiation. That's fine. I'm good. That's, you know, <laughs> I'm good. Thanks, I'll thanks. believe you. I got it. I got it. I got now. it. And it's just, <laughs> but yeah, it's just that. Oh boy. I mean, yeah, the medieval, uh, <laughs> the medieval uh, uh, kind of relationship to suffering, a relationship to mm. to bodily suffering and embodied suffering was kind of off the charts. But it's yeah, like, oh, oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. But yeah, so that that made me think of that, that kind of embodied um, 
visceral image of religious mm-hmm. uh kind of imagery yeah so I I get that um yeah like that's that's a really yeah, interesting yeah, way of so it's coming at it from a slightly different angle to to the spiritual no, angle I, of expressing yourself through um but, sure. but yeah <laughs> but it's I, but I think that that's part I mean it, I mean it's certainly um in the um like in the sense of like you know as far as like the the sort of western western thought um that's kind of a big uh like the whole idea of like bodily suffering that transforms you know the spiritual that that access to to grace and salvation through bodily suffering like that kind of undergirds everything i mean at least particularly like in the united states you know the influence of puritanism like that that's everywhere like that's it that's it's everywhere it's in everything and so like that's just it like you know what i mean like that's it's everywhere it's everything um and i'm trying to i'm trying to because you said you were a medieval a medievalist and i'm trying to because i'm really interested and fascinated by the convulsionaires um in the the sex and like the i think it's 15th or 16th century france and they they're they were basically like Cenobites of uh, that that time period, but they were people, and they and it was again for religious purposes, um, and they just did so much of the mortification of the flesh, and and um, just I don't and just reading about it, and you know, first it's like it's sort of like a normal like well, normal, um, you know, the normal like like flogging and all that sort of stuff, and then they just go into some really wild places that brings us to today, and kind of a lot of the extreme, more extreme body modification practices of, of today. Um, and it just seems like a thing that that humans are really, pardon the pun, it just seems like a thing that humans are really like hung up on is that, that you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm this thinking meat and, and it causes me some, some issues. So I'm going to hurt myself to try and like transcend it or transform that or, or something. Um, and I just think that's, I don't know, it, it fascinates me that that's such a, a common practice across, across cultures, the common practice across, you know, time periods, um, no matter how intellectual we get, we still, there's still pockets of society that still come back to that over and over and over again. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think that, that necessarily consciously that's in my work, but I think certainly that's a big that's kind of what's going on in the back of my head a lot of times in, in those kinds of stories that feature um, those those kinds of acts, I think. Yeah, that's really interesting. I can't wait to see what else you do with with those sorts of themes as well. Just like novels, delicious. <laughs> it's going to be really, it's going to be really awful. Like I'm going to say right now, it's just going to be, but you know, it's, it's, uh, but I, I appreciate that. And I think that that's one thing that I, I, I kind of have to say, though know, this was not a question that you asked at all. The reaction to the collection for the most part has been really like affirming because I think a lot of people have these kinds of questions or have these kinds of thoughts or you know are intrigued by these sorts of things and I think that knowing that is really like oh okay that kind of I don't know that lets some of the pressure off I think in terms of like because I before the book came out I was really nervous about its its content I mean you know it's a very long there's a very long content warning um at the beginning of the book and uh I I was like, man, I don't know, this might be too much for a lot of people. And, um, and if it is, that's fine. You know, like, that's, that's, that's okay. I, I'm not, I wasn't so worried about it that I didn't, you know, 
uh, sure. release the book. Yeah, like I, I, I <laughs> change anything or you know or calm down or anything like that. So, but I, I think it's it's uh, it's it's affirming for me that that the book connected with so many people, even though it's it's pretty extreme and and it's it's um, and its themes and just in the the writing itself. So. I have found that to be really to be really lovely so yeah yeah I think that goes back to what you say it's just like a universal thing that people kind of you know not not everybody but like sure, there's, certainly. there's a there's perhaps a group of us yes <laughs> yes small, small group yeah. of us who are you know just into that sort of thing so, yeah yeah even if we don't do it to ourselves it's it's a, it's a cathartic way I think of and a safe way of mm-hmm using fiction and like uh, expressing things through fiction and like dealing with personal trauma and stuff through this kind of physical this uh, fictional depiction of physical suffering or physical changing or physical something and I think that's Mm -hmm. that is the allure of body horror isn't it for a lot of people like yeah yeah I think you're right I think for it is I mean it's 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 a like you said it's a safe way to you know um to explore some of these anxieties that we have and some of these you know experiences that we have as as human beings that we just can't really articulate well but you know we can present it in some kind of fictionalized way that that resonates or you know that I was I was watching Possession a couple weeks ago and I'd never seen it before I had never seen Possession um with you know Sam Neill and Isabella Johnny and and I was and I and you know everybody's talks about that scene where she's in the the subway and and she's you know um if you if if, if you haven't seen Possession you have to watch I think it's on Shudder now I don't know if it's on like UK Shudder but I, I know it's on the the Shudder in the States and I was watching it and I was just like you know it's it's trying to explain to somebody what that movie is about is really, really difficult, but there are parts of that movie where I'm like, I get it exactly. I totally understand what that is meant to, to represent. I've never done those things in real life, but I emotionally, I completely understand like what these characters are, are going through. And that's just really fascinating. That's a really fast. I mean, that's sort of the fascinating, the fascination with any kind of art or or creativity um, is that it can Mm -hmm. make sense on some level that you may not, you may not be able to like, verbally or even textually articulate but like you get it 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 makes sense in some way so yeah yeah. I think that is also a good place to end it because that's kind of all we've got time for at the minute so (laughs) um, I wish (laughs) but um before we go uh, is there anything that you would like to plug anything that you've got coming out this year anything that you already have that you want us to uh to you want to reiterate um um, I would say, uh, so I do have a story uh, coming up in this collection called This World Belongs to Us, an anthology of horror stories about bugs. Um, my story is about uh, earwigs because I think they are so gross. Um, yeah, they just gross me out. Um, and uh, um, that collection will drop, I believe, mid to late March, um, again, from Fun Beyond Press. It uh, has a fantastic lineup of, of writers, um, so please be able to look out for that. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, the best way to, to, to stay in contact with me or just keep up with me is probably through via Twitter, um, sadly enough, because um, I'm always on Twitter. 
Um, but, but yeah, my Twitter handle is just at Paula D Ash, A S H E. Um, but yeah, but, but thank you so, so very much, um, uh, CM for, for having me. This has been a lovely conversation. I hope we, uh, get to do it again sometime. So yes, definitely. It'd be lovely to have you back and we can talk more. <laughs> yeah insects and body horror and gooey things (laughs) but thank you so much for coming on the show it's been fantastic to have you and best of luck with everything that you've got going on thanks so much and to you as well